Amen. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, that is who you are. Man, God is so good. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, even when you think he's not there, he's still there. He's still working. Man, I'm so grateful to have a God like that. Well, good morning. My name is Joel Shumate. I'm not Ridge Adams. Ridge is a little under the weather today, so he asked if I would fill in for him this morning, so I'm going to do my best to bring you the word and follow in the series that, uh, and we're going to talk about the third temptation this morning, the temptation to power. And uh, if you'd open your Bibles to Matthew 4, I want to read the, uh, all the way through it. I know this says five, but we're going to start in one. Um, and we're going to read through it because I want to remember and think about the things that, uh, that uh, Satan threw it at Jesus and how he came back every time. How he came back every time and he did not, he did not sin. Starting in verse one, that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if, I love this, if you are God, if you are the son of God, excuse me, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. First temptation didn't work. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on this highest point of the temple. If, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Now he misquoted this, but this is what he said. Now it is in the Bible, but he misquoted it. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Second temptation. Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Pray with me. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you, Father, for this passage that shows us that it is possible to resist temptation. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man, and he resisted. He did not buy into what Satan threw at him. Yeah, he was hungry. Yeah, all these things apply, just like they apply to us. But he resisted. 
God, open our eyes, open our ears so we can hear from you today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever known someone who, after listening for a little while, would just say, just get to the point? Just to get to the point or what's the bottom line? You know, it's enough talk. Let's hear the bottom line. But two of Satan's best temptations had failed. The devil cast aside all cleverness and his cunning, crafty deception. He threw aside any pretense of righteousness and became a straight-talking, bottom-line bargainer. He made his best offer and his final offer. He promised Jesus world power. But he also told him the price. So what was the offer? Satan took Jesus to this tall mountain and he showed him a vision of all the kingdoms of the world. He offered Jesus power over all earthly kingdoms. If. If Jesus wanted raw power, he wanted this coercive power, Satan would give it to him. So what is coercive power? Well, coercive power is the type of power that employs the use of force or threats or other forms of coercion in order to stimulate an outcome. For example, a supervisor might use coercive power to threaten, to demote, to terminate, or even to suspend an employee, and it might even be for a simple mistake. Power to force people to acknowledge and follow Jesus as Lord was the prize that Satan dangled before Jesus. The temptation to embrace coercive power appeals to us in three ways. First, many of us fall into this trap. Many of us want to be in charge of others. We want to rule for the sake of ruling. I knew a young man that years ago that I worked with and he worked really hard and he was promoted. But as soon as he was promoted, he worked really hard to get the next promotion. There's nothing wrong with that. He started planning his next move so he could make the next step up. He became manager, but for the wrong reason. You see, he, he had been driven by his desire for power. Not to help the company, not to be there for the people, but so that he could be in charge of everyone. So he could be in charge of others. Second, the temptation promises us to, promises, excuse me, to enable us to accomplish painlessly what otherwise would cost us dearly. Jesus knew he faced suffering and death if he chose servanthood as his mode of ministry. Coercive power offered him a way to avoid pain and still be Lord over all the people. Well, why not just become people's earthly king and order them to do what was right? After all, what could be wrong with that? Be so much easier. Third, 
Coercive power lures us by promising to enable us to do good. This is a strong temptation for anyone who longs to do good but is hindered by the opposition by the opposition in the ineptness of others. In the Lord of the Rings, uh, Gandalf refused the great ring of power, even when it was offered to him freely. He knew that with such power in his possession, he could not resist the corrupting influence of this ring. In rejecting the ring, Gandalf was wise enough to discern why it tempted him. He pitied the weak, the one who would take the ring and thus be corrupted. The ring's way into his heart was through his compassion and his deep desire to rescue others. Jesus may have felt the very same way. He wanted to save people from the power and the consequences of sin and and bring them into a right relationship with the Father. But he often was stopped by his enemies who were hard-hearted and they opposed him and by his disciples in effective efforts. Jesus' compassion for us must have made Satan's offer very tempting, very appealing. But listen, we're not immune from the temptation of power. We may seek it for its own sake, for self-protection, for the sake of doing good, but beware, brothers and sisters. Power tempts us in all life's arenas. It tempts us in family, in business, society, government, and even in the church. It is there for the taking. So what's the price? Coercive power carries a very high price. If Jesus were going to accept Satan's offer, the Lord would have to pay the price. Look at verse 9. And this I will give you, he said, if this is the price. If you will bow down and worship me. Wow. First, Jesus would have to reject God's chosen method of ministry, and that was servanthood. In effect, Satan argued that God's way was untried. It was senseless, and it was likely to fail. Why embrace an unproven, a painful method when the historical proven strategy of power was available? Second, Satan required Jesus to turn from God to him. If Jesus wanted to use the devil's tools, he would have to seek them on his knees before the owner. This reveals the principle we would do very well to remember. We would do very well to remember coercive power is the tool of the enemy. To embrace and use it for any reason leads to idolatry. 
And we might as well just go ahead and call it Satan worship. So what did he do? What did Jesus do? So look at verse 10. Jesus refused the devil's offer in no uncertain terms. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. I don't want anything to do with it, he said. Away from me. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' refusal contains two elements. First, he made a decisive choice to worship only God. Jesus saw the connection between coercive power and Satan, and he didn't want anything to do with it. In order to have one, you have to worship the other. And Jesus refused, praise the Lord. Most of us have signed a contract at some point in our life, a rental agreement, a mortgage note, or promissory note. And we've learned by experience to read the fine print. Only then can you tell the full extent of your obligation. Jesus read the fine print. And he declined Satan's offer to sign on the line. Praise the Lord. Hey, I'm usually sitting down here saying amen. Y'all got to speak up, okay? Second, Jesus made a choice to embrace God's way of ministry, and that is servanthood. In rejecting this coercive power, Jesus embarked on his journey to the cross. Now, if he could have taken the other one, he could have bypassed the cross. But he he embarked now on his journey to the cross. He would have no earthly crown. He would have no armies, not even a place to lay his head. But, but he would have God and the ministry his father intended. Amen? Amen? He would have what God intended. We can resist the temptation to use course of power. In order, in order to do that, let me, let me make a, uh, or excuse me, we must make the same decision that Jesus made. We must make the same decision. First, we must make a clear choice to worship only God. First and foremost, make this choice to worship only God. Now, for those who are not Christians, the initial step to worshiping God is to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You must ask Christ to come into your heart and to rule your life. That's hard, but that's what you have to do. Must lay aside all the claims to power, okay, and the right to order your own life. That's even harder. But the reward is so great. The moment we do this, we truly begin to worship God. The moment we do this, a change happens in our lives. Christians, however, face a more subtle problem. We are tempted to give, listen to what I'm saying. 
We are tempted to give our private devotion to something other than God and publicly act as if we worship God alone. Let me repeat that. Christians are tempted to give our public, or excuse me, our private devotion to something other than God, our private devotion, and publicly ask, act as if we worship God alone. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I'm a Christian. I love God, blah, blah, blah. But when they're at the workplace, you wouldn't know it. When they're out of the church building, you wouldn't know it. But in here, oh, yeah. Look at me. I'm a good Christian. So pervasive and devious is this temptation that we often fall into it without being aware of what has really happened. So let me give you an effective solution to this. Pray. Wow, that's easy. Continual, ongoing prayer. Pray that God will help you comprehend the threat. Help that he'll help you see what's really going on. Pray that God will help you discern your failures. Oh yeah, I'm not perfect, I fail. Pray that God will help you to see that. Pray that God will renew your dependence on him. Total dependence on God, that's the way to make it, guys. Total dependence on God. Second, Make a decisive choice to seek only God's chosen means of ministry. Only God's chosen means. Lay aside coercion and all its promised payoffs in favor of sacrificial servant ministry, just like Jesus did. Oh, yeah, it's easier to do this. It's easier to do that. If you're going to follow Jesus... That's a whole different deal. Servant ministry. Examine every area of your life. Personal, family, community, national and even international life. All the areas, examine all of them. Ask these questions. Ask these questions of yourself. What would it mean to replace coercive power with servanthood in every area in my life? Not just some of them, but in every area of my life. Wow. What apologies would we need to make? How many long-standing policies and procedures would need drastic revision or even discarding? I'm not going to do that anymore. Would our public and private stance towards our enemies have to change? Might we have to give up the engaging game of church policies? Church politics, excuse me. 
Might we have to give up something that we thought we should be doing? Refusing to use coercive power is not easy. It's easier to push someone than it is to lead them. So here's an old friend's secret for resisting this temptation. He said, I try to watch myself. Every time I feel tempted to make someone do something, even something for his or her own good, I stop and I ask myself, would I do what I'm about to do if I were dealing with Jesus? But I do what I'm about to do if I were dealing with Jesus himself. Treating every person I meet as if he or she were Jesus helps me turn from the use of power to the use of servanthood. Wise old man. Wise. Wise. Finally, as the praise team comes back up, I just want to say this. Temptation comes in three basic areas. Don't stop listening just because they're coming. I'm not finished. Okay? Temptation comes in three areas. And Jesus was tempted by the devil in these three ways. First, he was tempted by the pull of the flesh. To make stones into bread, but that would be in disobedience to God's will. Second, he was tempted by the pull of pride to throw himself off off the temple and steal glory for himself. Third, he was tempted by the pull of the eyes to bow down and to worship the devil in order to have all the glory of the earth, all the glory in his immediate possession. First John two fifteen. do not love the world or anything in the world. Wow. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those three things, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. It was in these three ways that the devil Cause the woman in the garden to fall into sin. Way back in Genesis, because she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make her wise. These are the three passions through which the devil tries to get us to stumble. And none of us None of us are immune. 
They're the passions that inspire the world's three favorite slogans. And you've heard them over and over. If it feels good, do it. The lust of the flesh. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. The lust of the eyes. And I did it my way. The boastful pride of life. All temptations that the devil throws at us can be seen as falling into one of these three categories. And we need to be on guard in these three areas at all times. Amen? Amen. In closing, I want you to remember this. God is sovereign over all heaven and earth. Period. The devil's been granted the right and the might over the kingdoms of the world. However, the devil's claim to have authority over everything is a half-truth. And a half-truth is a whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie. I was listening to a song this morning as we were getting uh, between breakfast and coming here. It's like, he's a liar. That's a good description and that's an accurate description. He's a liar. Don't listen to Satan. Don't listen when he goes, if you'll just do this, you can have that. That's a bunch of baloney. If you want to get here, you follow Jesus. And I guarantee you'll get here. If you follow Satan, you'll never get there. He's a liar. He's going down and he wants to take you with him. Satan has dominion over anything. He's sort of like a squatter sitting on a piece of land. He can say it's mine till he's blue in the face, but he's wrong. Satan does not have it. Don't listen to his lies. God reigns over all creation. Amen? God reigns. Remember that. When Satan comes and knocks on your door, you say, hey, hold on just a second. Jesus, uh, somebody, somebody at the door for you. Okay? Do not. Don't listen to his promises. They're empty. They're empty. Pray with me. Thank you, Father, for this day and thank you for the the example in the Bible. The example in your word that shows us, God, we can resist. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man and he resisted.